Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast with your hosts, Tom and... Tim. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well as well. Uh, of course, for everyone listening, today is Friday and we have the third, fourth place playoff game tomorrow and the final, I believe, is on Sunday evening. Is that correct? It is correct. Yes. Exciting mm -hmm. times. So in this podcast episode, we're going to look back on the two semi-final games, uh, review what happened, and we're going to talk about the final and uh, perhaps give a prediction. Do you dare to make a prediction, Tim? I do, but I'll make our, our listeners wait until we talk <laughs> about that match. Good things come to those who wait. That's right. So let's begin in chronological order, which is the first of the two semi-final games, which happened between which two teams was it, Tim, the first one? It was uh, Argentina and Croatia. Okay. So I'm sure for anyone who, uh, who's been buried in a hole and didn't know what happened, Argentina won that game 3-0. It was a very comfortable victory. Uh, I have to just make one comment immediately that I was a little bit disappointed with the semifinals, not because of the quality of the football. Uh, we did see some magical stuff, again, from you-know-who, But uh, after the excitement of the quarterfinals, I did feel that the semifinals weren't quite as fiercely competed. This is um, this is is this is to be expected when small teams go deep in competitions. Um, we love seeing these uh, upsets, these dark horses going deep into the competition. But it does mean that eventually you will have a very powerful country against a very a less powerful country in one of the most prestigious games in world football. And that was always the danger with a team like Morocco. I'm still wearing my Morocco mm -hmm. shirt. Haven't taken it off yet. Um, it's always the danger that uh, a team like France were just going to be too strong for Morocco and a team mm -hmm. like Argentina were just going to be too strong for Argentina, uh, for oh. Croatia. And in fact, it was uh, maybe the less, the it wasn't the smallest team who disappointed the most. It was probably the Argentina-Croatia match that was less competitive, I would say, than the Morocco-France match. Yes, so let's that talk... game, you, you could argue it was decided in the first half. Argentina scored their second goal before halftime. We needed a response from Croatia, and unfortunately, they couldn't deliver it. So, uh, But there were some controversial incidents. There certainly is, were. Is that what you were going to ask me first? I, I was exactly to going to ask you this question, about Tom. The uh, penalty. Was it a penalty? I would say yes. And I, I understand both sides of the uh, argument, but uh, this is how I see it. Uh, Alvarez uh, was running through on goal. He was one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper. He was in front of the defender. He shoots, um, and then his momentum takes him into the goalkeeper, who uh, was stopped. Um, but the shot was so bad that the defender was able to get to the shot before it crossed the goal line, uh, before it went wide. Um, so... That means if it hadn't been for the contact between Alvarez and the goalkeeper, then Alvarez would also have been able to get onto the ball that he, in fact, shot. Um, so it would have been considered almost like a dribble. Now, it's not for the referee to interpret what sort of contact Alvarez made with the ball. It's only the referee's job to interpret if the goalkeeper interfered with Alvarez uh, getting to that ball. And I would say he did. If it wasn't for the goalkeeper being there, Alvarez would have run onto his poor shot and put it into an empty net. What do you that, think, Tom? Do you agree with me? 
Uh, I'd like to compliment you on your third conditional there for our advanced listeners. If it wasn't for the, the goalkeeper, Alvarez would have run onto it. I actually disagree with you on that one. I'm going to stand up for the goalkeeper and defenders union here. I'm going to try and make my case. You mentioned it earlier. The goalkeeper was standing still. His feet were planted when Alvarez came. Uh, this for me, I believe that the goalkeeper was within his rights. He was allowed to be in that position. I felt as a result, the foul was more like what we would call an obstruction. Sometimes you see the foul and obstruction given. However, I looked up the definition of an obstruction. Uh, I'm going to read it out for you now. If a player moves into the opponent's path to block, obstruct, slow down, or force a direction change, when the ball is not within playing distance. And for me, that's the crucial thing with this foul. Uh, the ball was within the playing distance of the Croatian goalkeeper. Uh, I believe that he was entitled to go and stand exactly where he was standing uh, because I don't think Alvarez was fully in control. As you mentioned, there was some luck with the way he mishit the shot and it wasn't going to, to go into the goal. So... I'm sure you'll argue back that, but it wasn't an obstruction, it was a foul. It's the kind of decision I feel 10 or 20 years ago would not have been given. But in the modern game of football, where we try and give the striker, give the attacking team the benefit of the doubt or the advantage, that decision will always get given. So I wasn't surprised. I am going to come back at you on this one. Um, maybe not for the reason... Uh you think but it's just a question of um <clears throat> one thing i do like uh about the the way defenders are protected still is that if a player shoots and the shot leaves the foot then if there's a if there's a heavy contact after the shot's gone towards the goal the referee generally ignores this even if the shot goes wide um because they see it as they haven't deprived the attacker an opportunity to to take a shot but the point is with this interaction uh, between the goalkeeper and Alvarez, the, the shot was so bad that um, he was affecting what happened post-shot. Uh, and that's what it boils down to. As I said at the right at the beginning, I can understand both arguments. Um, I think it's a question, and if you actually see the referee, he doesn't blow the whistle at the point of contact. He blows the whistle when he sees where the ball goes and he sees the defender get to the ball before Alvarez because the Alvarez is on the floor. So um, it's it's. Um, I think it's one of those rules where it really shows how writing a rule down in football doesn't work. Um, sometimes you have to use your instincts, your instincts that come from years of playing football, from growing up playing football, from being through on goal, from being that goalkeeper, from being that defender. Um, and even even in those situations, you've got you and I who both fulfill those requirements who totally disagree. And that's why we like football. Otherwise, there'd be no podcasts if everyone <laughs> agreed. Um, Tom, should we move on to the... Uh, to the uh, the second goal. So it was a wonderful mm -hmm. penalty from Messi. Um, but what about the second goal? Also, Alvarez. Uh, I've got a question for you, Tom. Mm -hmm. Was this genius or did he get lucky with the bobbles going his way? And a bobble is when something bounces unexpectedly. Um, Julio Alvarez uh, picked up the ball in his own half. Uh, and then ran at the defence. He used the the run from his teammate to uh, to open up some space for himself to attack the last defender. 
And while he was dribbling through, it bounced off him, him, it bounced off the defender, it bounced back into his path, just nicely for him to put it past the goalkeeper. Was it genius or was it lucky? You make your own luck in football. That expression means that sometimes you have to try and a bit like a distant shot that will deflect in off the goalkeeper. This was the same kind of thing. It was a very powerful attacking run. He got the ball into an area, but then he was closed down by three defenders and he got lucky. I also think that it was poor defending by Sosa, the the Croatian left back. The ball did. He had an opportunity to really try and clear the ball with his thigh. The ball bounced off his thigh and it looked like he was trying to control it or he didn't know what to do with it. That led to it falling back into Alvarez's path. So it was a little bit of both. If the defender had been more switched on, that goal wouldn't have happened. But as I mentioned already, credit to Alvarez for such a powerful, menacing run. By menacing, I mean causing trouble, causing danger. Threatening, dangerous. Threatening, yes. Yes. I've got an interesting stat for you, Tom, about uh, Alvarez. He has had a, a, a massive impact at this World Cup for Argentina. Let's not forget he wasn't starting at the beginning of the tournament. But since he's come into the side, at this World Cup, Argentina have scored 12 goals. 11 of them have been on the pitch, uh, have been whilst uh, Alvarez has been on the pitch and they've conceded uh, five goals and all five of the goals that they've conceded uh, have been when Alvarez is not on the pitch. So um, that really shows that, um, firstly, he's creating options for their attacking players with his movement, with his constant hassling of defenders and to hassle somebody is to bother them constantly. Um, And at the same time, he's leading the line. He's pressurizing the opposition when they have the ball. He really is the first line of defense. I've been very impressed with him. Uh, Do you think he'll uh, be a regular starter when he goes back to Manchester City? Or do you think he'll be sitting on the bench behind Haaland? Uh, Well, when he's back at City, he'll be back in Pep Guardiola's uh, squad rotation. So you'll see him. You'll probably see him come out for the big games, I expect. He's shown in this tournament that he is a player who has risen to the occasion. So I expect we might see him in the the later stages of the Champions League or starting in the Premier League if things get very close at the end of the season. Okay, okay. Tom, when you turn around in a circle and you feel like you've lost your balance, what's that word? I feel dizzy. dizzy. Do you think that's a bit like how a Gavardiol feels? (laughs) Are you talking about the third goal with uh, Lionel Messi? Yeah, uh, I am talking about that. To go past someone, to skin someone, to dribble past someone, to do someone. They're all different ways of saying to move past a defender with the ball. And uh, Messi really, uh, he he rolled back the years. It was like watching a 25-year-old Messi uh, destroy uh, Gavardiol, the poor Croatia left back. Mm. Uh, What a goal. That was uh, one of the reasons why I watch football were goals like that. In fact, Messi, this tournament, has has reminded reminded me a lot of the beauty and artistic creativity of our wonderful sport uh, and I, I this was this was one of my favorite goals of the world cup so far tom would you agree i would agree i, I i've got mixed feelings about it because you saw the brilliance of messi who beat guardiola not only once but he beat him twice uh, at the same time, you're thinking a 35-year-old striker against a 20-year-old defender. Uh, I felt Gvardiol, uh, I can't blame him too much because he'd been defending hard for 80 minutes, but I felt like he wasn't quite on his toes. There, when you're a young defender, they say, stay on your toes, meaning 
don't put your weight on the heels of your feet. I thought he was a bit heavy at that moment where Messi went past him the second time. Uh, but that's what Lionel Messi will do to anybody. So credit where it's due. For, and for I'd just Messi. like to highlight, um, you know, maybe some people thought, oh, why, why has he gone past him twice? But when Messi originally got to the ball, he was very isolated. Uh, and the, 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 the double dribble, actually what it does is, is it gives his team time to get up the pitch and uh, allows Alvarez to be there for the pullback um, that um, basically couldn't, couldn't, it was unmissable. So it was really intelligent from Messi, really uh, real showing real game awareness. Um, I mean, he is the genius. Um, I'd like to apologise to some of our listeners because I think in a previous episode I said that Messi would equal Beckenbauer's record for World Cup appearances. Um, no, he's just equal equals Lofa Mateus's record. So I do apologise to uh, Lofa Mateus if he's listening, um, and to Beckenbauer as well. <laughs> so Lothar, Lothar Mateus was the previous record well, holder. Well, he's still current record holder, but I in the see. final, Messi will, will will beat his record. Tom, mm -hmm. is this the end for this Croatia side? Is it the end of the cycle once they lose Modric, who did play very well in this game? Uh, do you think they, they can continue competing at this level? Well, they are through to the final of the Nations League next summer, which is where I think four or eight of the top European teams will compete for a mini tournament. Uh, whether they will win it, I, I am doubtful. I do, you do kind of sense that once Modric goes, it will be very hard for, for, for the other players to, to raise the performance to the same level. And as you mentioned in the last podcast, Tim, until they uh, they hadn't won a knockout game in the World Cup since 1998, which tells you that they're great at being draw specialists and penalty specialists. But that you wonder, you know, do they have what it takes to actually cut through teams? It appears that they're, they're lacking something. Yeah, yeah. So should we move on and talk about uh, France-Morocco? Let's do it. Yes, yes. France-Morocco. So this was... A 2-0 victory in the end for, for France. Uh, before the game, you and I had recorded a little video for our TikTok channel, Making Predictions. We were hopeful and overly confident that Morocco, the defence, would hold out. And that prediction lasted approximately five minutes. That was Four when, minutes, please. Four, four minutes. 4.20, four, 4.20. Four yes, and it, that, that first goal, really, I, unfortunately, you felt like the writing was on the wall. The writing on the wall means that you could feel that uh, the bad news is going to come. Something bad is going to happen. Is that an accurate description, writing on the wall? Yeah, the writing was on the wall. The signs of the bad news yeah. were already there. It's like a, yeah, a sign, an omen that something bad is going to come because Morocco are better when they're playing counter-attacking football, defending deep. You don't, we didn't feel so confident if Morocco had to bring the ball up the field and break through the French defence. Could, could we say that the Morocco plan went out the window? Went out the window, that's right. Immediately... The, the original plan failed. They needed to start doing something differently. And it failed because of a rush of blood to the head. Uh, I think the, the defender, El, uh, he was the, they were playing with a back three of three, three defenders. And the Moroccan defender, El Yamik, rushed out to make an interception of a through ball going through to Griezmann. He missed it. 
Griezmann did what he's been doing all tournament, exploiting the space, getting to the byline, creating danger, and the ball bounced for uh, Teo Hernandez with a spectacular volley finish, actually, I have to say. It was like execution. a Kung Fu jump, wasn't it? It was the almost execution. like Ibrahimovic style. Uh, I'd just like to... Uh... Maybe a couple of extenuating circumstances for the poor defender, circumstances which explain his uh, actions. There were changes in the last minute in in the Morocco uh, back line. Uh, the West Ham boy, uh, how do you pronounce it? Agurd? Naif Agurd, yes. Oh, nice. Uh, it was actually uh, st- uh, meant to start, but uh, there were injury concerns and uh, he was actually changed in the warm-up. And uh, Saïs... Uh, went off after 20 minutes, but he was quite clearly not comfortable from the beginning. He had been injured in the previous match. So you can understand if you're a a, a defender in a a defence which has been changed at the last minute, you're worried about your teammate's mobility. You can understand that maybe that can affect your decision-making. But you're right, it was a terrible decision. He stepped out of the back line and gave a huge amount of space to Griezmann, uh, who I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, And that, that uh, that was the mistake which cost Morocco their original game plan and meant that they had to play a style of football which uh, was basically the first time we've seen them play this style of football in the World Cup and to be honest I was pretty impressed and so were you Tom weren't we Um, they were able to move the ball up the pitch quite well Uh, sometimes they're a little bit too technical a little bit too took too many risks deep in midfield in dangerous positions but generally they were I would say quite an impressive side, even in possession. Would you agree with that, Tom? I would agree with that. They they needed to change tactics, work the ball up through slow transition play, not the, the fast break transition play. I felt they were much more effective down the right side. Hakimi and Zayec had, were both excellent. They were two players who were very comfortable controlling the ball. Oh, Un- Unai as well, the number eight, the skinny number eight central midfielder. They were making triangles, the three of them, working the ball very well down that right side. They were having less success down the middle and on the left side with with Sofiane Bouffal. Uh, But still, it was very hard to break through that French wall. They had the Chouameni and they had Fofana in this game. And, And then, of course, they had players like Griezmann again, who were hassling them from behind. They were they were being closed off in different directions. It was hard for them to make many good chances, but they did a good job considering the team they were playing against. Yeah, and they did have, there's that word again, to hassle, to hassle uh, if a defender hassles a striker, constantly bothering, constantly annoying. And Griezmann really did hassle the Moroccan midfield. Um, yeah, it was, um, as you say, they were a lot stronger down the right um, the second goal at the, in the second half obviously killed the game, um, but it was a late goal and France were getting worried in that second half. Uh, Morocco, especially down that right-hand side through Ziyech uh, and through uh, Hakimi, played some nice low balls across the box. Uh, the striker, El Naziri, had a chance. They substituted him and the substitute striker also had a chance. There was a wonderful bicycle kick uh, which which hit the post at one point. So it wasn't comfortable watching i'm sure if if you were if you were didier deschamps i felt like this morocco team were a little bit unlucky because of the injuries we've already talked about the center backs not having those guys playing i felt that made a difference sometimes when the we needed a, a precise accurate ball from the center back to the center midfield 
it failed and France were able to regain possession too many times in midfield. So that is in part because their most experienced, best centre-backs weren't playing. And also, as you mentioned, the striker who came on as a sub, uh, he wasn't fresh. He wasn't adjusted to the, the climate and the environment. And you're right, he did have a couple of, uh, I would say, half chances, uh, but he didn't quite seem, as we'd say, match sharp, ready to take them and, and become the star for his country. Yeah. Um, Tom, what kind of a team is this French side? I mean, I'm looking at the statistics now. They had 39% possession against Morocco. Um, against England, it was similar. Um, they they don't seem to be a team that want to dominate the ball. They don't seem to be a team that care so much about um, playing what, what the press would consider beautiful football or for the French champagne football. Um, and uh, But this is their second World Cup final in a row. They seem to be copying the Real Madrid model. Uh, and let's not forget Real Madrid have been hugely successful over the past five five years or so. They seem to be playing football of moments. They're happy to sit deep when they don't have the ball. They uh, play with a philosophy that if we don't have the ball, we can't make a mistake. Um, and when they don't, when they do have the ball, they break very fast. They use the the, the speed of Mbappe, the invention of uh, of Antoine Griezmann, and the uh, the solidity and the dependable movement of, of Olivier Giroud. And I do think these three players together with their varying styles are a dangerous combination but do you think um do you think this france side could play better football do you think they could be more effective if they were a possession based side i'm getting some sense of deja vu here uh, deja vu of course is that feeling that you've experienced something in the past and this conversation we're having now feels quite similar to the one we had 4 years ago about the same uh, well a lot of the same French players in the same kind of system with the same kind of with the, exactly the same manager, Deschamps. Uh, I feel that they are doing everything absolutely right. You know, when we look at the modern game in 2022, uh, you see how the, ta the tiki taka tactics of Spain uh, are no longer quite as effective. You need to have a variety of uh, possession, keeping the ball and also giving the other team possession. France are able to do that. They're using the double pivot with the two defensive holding midfielders. It was Chouameni and Fofana in the semi-final. I would expect Rabiot to come back and be the other double pivot alongside Chouameni. Uh, then they've got the, the three attacking players and uh, with, with Mbappe on the left, Griezmann on the right. Although if you watch Griezmann, you'll see that he can appear pretty much anywhere he wants on that field. And then, of course, with the, the main target man, you mentioned Giroud up front. It's a team that is very, very consistent. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing. They don't change the formation much. 4-2-3-1. They, they did do, I think, 4-3-3 against Tunisia in the final group stage, and they lost that game 1-0. So we know what to expect with this French team. This conversation that they don't keep the ball, they don't play the beautiful football, I would disagree with that. I say you don't need to keep the ball. You don't need to play the beautiful football. When you said a team of moments, that's actually exactly what you need in the modern game to win games. You need players who can spring you open, cut through you in one moment, get themselves into the lead, and then you'll watch them. They'll, they'll let the other team have the ball again and, and get ready to, to take them apart later. I agree. I agree with you up to a point. I do think... Um... I think Tiki Taka is dead. 
I, I, I'm happy to say that publicly on the air. Um, but I don't think the solution is is just a, a moments game, um, because I think with the moments game, you're inviting the opposition to uh, have possession and to play well. Um, I th- but I also think Tiki Taka is dead because Tiki Taka basically demands that you have technical superiority to your opponent because if your opponent's as good technically as you are well, you're not going to have 60 percent possession so I, I i think tiki taka is kind of a perfect tactic for club football where the concentration of talent is much greater than international football but i think um we do still need to be able to play this kind of more creative possession based game because it's it's a good way to tire out the opposition it's still true that when you've got the ball high up the pitch uh, it's you're still very unlikely to concede a goal, so it's a good way to defend. But I take your point that moments are the the most important thing, and I also think an important thing to consider is how do the players feel because uh, managers don't make their tactics for the fans. Managers make their tactics for to win matches and to make their players feel most comfortable on the pitch. And just thinking back to some of my experiences as uh, playing football. Having a real battle on the pitch and fighting for for all of your challenges is much more fun than dominating a match. <laughs> so maybe um, maybe it just uh, just the, keeps the players happy as well. I would um, have to disagree with that one, Tim. I have to say I love it when my team dominates and we can smother the opposition. Meaning to to smother is a verb we might use when you uh, put out a fire. You smother a blanket around. Stop it, it breathing. So stop no, it breathing, I get that, yeah. but. Do you finish the match feeling that you've made such a big contribution or do you finish? I, mean, I get I get it's more creative. It's more artistic. But that kind of satisfaction that you've gone to war and, and won, um, I think, is is maybe uh, greater when you, when you haven't just totally dominated possession. Do you see what you, I mean? Th- there is certainly an argument that if you let the other team dominate possession and you still come away winning 1-0 or 2-0 at the end of it, then it's that's the most satisfying. more satisfying. Exactly. Yes. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, anyway. So, Tom, um, there's two more matches to talk about. Um, third place playoff. So good. We've spoken about that. <laughs> Let's talk about the final. Uh, third place playoff, of course, Morocco, Croatia, but nobody cares. Nobody remembers the third place playoff. Mm-hmm. Um, predictions, Tom, for the final. Let's hear it. Who do you think will win? I think that France will win. Uh, what about you, Tim? Well, I do, as you know, find it very hard to bet uh, to to predict with my head. I always predict with my heart, and I I want Argentina to win. But I can also see them winning. I think they will win. I think France will play. Uh, again, a very similar game to what they played against uh, Morocco and England. They will let Argentina have possession. And I think Argentina will have the quality uh, to find the gaps with that possession. If you give Messi 60-70% ball, he will probably find your weakness over the course of 90 minutes. Um, A lot of people are saying this Argentina side don't like possession either, but that's not the Argentina side I see. I saw them against Croatia and I I thought they only really started playing their best once they'd won the midfield battle and they were able to build platforms for their possession. possession. And I think the Argentine midfield will be too strong for for the French midfield. Uh, Is it um, uh, McAllister? 
um, uh, Paredes and uh, De Paul. I think they're too they're too technical. They move the ball too well. Obviously, Messi drops into those areas as well. I think they'll outnumber the French. Um, you know, Chulameni is a very young man to be the heart of that midfield to go up against a very experienced, uh, streetwise Argentina side. So, Tom, is it? Why do you think it's? Um, I think I think people could say that on paper France have a stronger side. But mm. is this style of play thing which make which makes me back Argentina? I prefer. I think the Argentine style of play is a more effective style of football than the French style of play. What do you mm. think, Tom? Well, on paper, you are absolutely right. The valuation of the France team is actually one billion euros in comparison. The Argentinian team or squad, I should say, that's all twenty six players, are valued at six hundred and forty five million. However, in that squad of Argentina, you've got a player like Messi who's 35 years old uh, and is only valued at 50 million. But I think we would exactly. all agree that his true valuation is much, much higher than that. Uh, so oh, my son and my wife have just arrived. I'm just saying hello to them now. <laughs> so um, it's a real challenge, though. We've got five goals each for Messi and Mbappe. Do you think it's going to be? You think it's going to be Mbappe then that's going to steal the show? Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to come back to my favourite man, Griezmann. Antoine Griezmann for me has been the star of this tournament. Now, no disrespect to Messi, he is equally, in my opinion, just a little bit less than Griezmann, being a fantastic star for Argentina. Uh, I feel that Messi might have got a little bit more favouritism from the referees sometimes, giving him favourable fouls in dangerous areas. Griezmann, when I watch him, and I, I encourage all our listeners to watch Griezmann, he's incredibly effective as a player, on the ball or without the ball. Uh, you will rarely see him do the wrong thing. His execution uh, whenever he has the ball is so good. Uh, his harrying, his creating trouble, his everything he does, I think. Griezmann is playing perfectly. So everyone's talking about Mbappe versus Messi. Mbappe could be there to finish the game. But I think the most interesting battle is in midfield, as you say. You know, the Argentinian midfield, I absolutely agree with you. I suspect it's hard to know with the tactics because Scaloni has changed tactics quite a lot. He's gone from 4-4-2 to 4-3-3, 5-3-2, back to 4-4-2 in the semi-final. It might be Paredes if he has a four-man midfield. It might be, I, I also expect Enzo Fernandez to play, uh, who has been uh, one of the stars, young oh, stars of, course, of this yeah, tournament. Enzo Fernandez, yes. So, but with Enzo Fernandez, McAllister behind Messi, come up against Chouameni and Rabiot, also with Griezmann, with the freedom of play in front of them. It'll be very interesting to see who comes out on top in midfield. I just think that France will do it because I've seen less weakness from them. They've seemed more comfortable in most of the games they've had. In contrast, we've watched Argentina lose the first game against Saudi Arabia. You could argue that that was uh, just slow starting, bad luck. We also saw that game against Holland in the quarterfinals where Argentina should have really killed the game and then let Holland back in with 10 minutes to go and forcing extra time and penalties. So I see some more weakness in this Argentinian team. It might come from shorter centre-backs. Maybe Giroud will have his way against Otamendi or Lissandro Martinez if he plays. Uh, I, I just feel the French team is more complete and more in control of the game, even when it looks ugly and they don't have the ball. 
Okay, fair enough. I mean, I get your points. I just don't know how in control of the game France would have been if that bicycle kick had gone in. I don't know how in control of the game France would have been if if Harry Kane's penalty had gone in. If the penalty, if the penalty in the first half, which some people would argue England should have had, had gone in. Um, so you know, it's all very good to live from these moments when these moments go your way. But if these moments don't go their way, uh, and that's also one of the dangers for Didier Deschamps. Uh, it's all very good to play. Uh, effective but ugly football when you're winning but when you're losing uh then it's much easier for the press for man for fans to criticize you uh there is some team news um there's a virus in the french squad uh that's reported why up capamo missed the last game it's why uh, rabiot missed the last game apparently now Varane has got the uh the virus as well um and uh Abkapamo has still got it, Rabio has still got it, Konate is also a new patient. Um, so there's no official talk on what this virus is, but the rumors online down my rabbit holes are that it's a uh it's COVID. Uh Tom, what's a what's a rabbit hole online? Uh a rabbit hole is uh it comes from Alice in Wonderland to when Alice goes down the rabbit hole. It's when you explore a world of information, research, news that is unofficial that you will not find in the mainstream. It's often associated with conspiracies. Well, you know I love a football conspiracy, Tom. Um, so yes, there's vi- there's a virus in the French squad, and there's also the very interesting situation and conversation surrounding Karim Benzema, Ballon d'Or winner. Um, he was, of course, in the French squad for the World Cup. Um, he was then declared injured shortly before the World Cup. He was sent back to uh, to Real Madrid. But interestingly, a substitute, a substitute, a replacement wasn't named. Uh, and then very strangely, after only three days of, of rehabilitation back at Real Madrid, back at Valdebrebas uh, training centre, um, he was told that he was fit. Real Madrid declared him fit, I think, in the first week of the World Cup. Since then, he has been training with Real Madrid. He's played a friendly match uh, against Leganes, played 90 minutes last week. No injury problems. He's declared himself fit. Uh, Macron has said that Benzema should go to, to Qatar for the final. And um, Deschamps, in an interview, said he didn't want to be uh, to be asked any questions about Benzema. So there's something going on with Karim Benzema. We've seen these these kind of social dynamic problems in the French squads before in 2010 with Patrice Evra, with Samia Nasri uh, chasing the cash. Nasri, sorry. Um, and um, I, I I I can see the wheels falling off. When I say the wheels falling off, I mean things are starting to go wrong. Mm, well. Uh, if I was Didier Deschamps and Macron weighs in on if Benzema should play, I would tell Macron to do one. By, by that, I mean to jog on, to go away or to F off. I won't say the word, but you can guess what that means. I think it's disrespectful to the other players in that squad who have been a part of it from the beginning. Uh, if they had a striking problem, then perhaps there could be reason to call him in. But with this virus you described, you said Konate, Upamecano and Varane. They've got a centre-back problem potentially if those players don't play. So uh, I don't think that before a final, there's lots of rumours, there's lots of speculation. I still expect a strong France side 
to, to show up. If there is a conspiracy, could it be food poisoning rather than COVID? Who knows? There has been talk of that happening before affecting an England team on, in Mexico in the 1970 World Cup. Uh, anyway, that's a rabbit hole we won't go into. Tim, we've got three minutes left. I've got two trivia questions for you to okay. test your knowledge. There is one player in the French squad who has played in 19 finals and won all 19 finals of major tournaments. Varane. Good. Very good. You got Boom. that one. Yes. It had to be Real Madrid. I think it had to be Madrid. <laughs> Here's the next one. Uh, there are two teams, two club teams who have supplied... Inter Milan and Bayern Munich. You know it. You know that statistic. I was going to say that... Every player, World Cup since 1980, is it? The last 10 World Cups, the last 40 years. So that will be since 1982. One player from Bayern Munich and one play, at least one player from Inter Milan have played in every final since then. Oh, you're on top of your facts. Tom, I've done very little sleeping, very little interacting with my girlfriend, very little... I've been doing as minimum work as possible over the past month. I've been immersed, a full footballing cultural immersion over the last month. That's why we love the World Cup. That's why our listeners listen to our podcast. The only bad news is we've only got two... Well, 1.1 games left. Mm -hmm. You're counting the uh, the third, fourth-place playoff as one-tenth of a game, yes? Yes. I see. Well... It's bad news for us, but I'm sure it's very good news for girlfriends, wives, or if there are girls who like football, of course, husbands and partners as well. Patient Any, partners, yeah. should we call them? Patient, Patient partners, partners will be rubbing their hands with glee. And we probably owe our spouses some favours, some some make we need to do some making up to them, don't we, for the time okay. we've been torn away. So Tom, give me a scoreline. I'm going two one Argentina in normal time. Oh, that's a good one. Well, I do expect Messi to, to do some damage. I think Argentina will get at least one goal. But I'm going spectacular like that game four years ago. That one finished 4-3 to France. I'm going to go 4-2 this time. France to win 4-2 in the final. Very nice. Very nice. Tom, if any of our listeners want to join the conversation or give us some feedback, how can they do that? Uh, they can leave us a rating, leave us a review on their podcast platforms. It just takes one touch, push that five-star button. That will help us a lot. And of course, share us with your friends if you know anyone else who'd like to enjoy conversations in English about football and learn a thing or two along the way. That's it. Fantastic, Tom. See you for the final. See you for the final. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.